Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Father John, Joe. I am back from the uh, Focus National Conference known as SEEK 2013. How was it? 6,000 young Catholics. 6,000, all of whom listen to the podcast. Acting really cool. Every single one of them. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Yeah, it's not true. Why don't we have 6,000 subscribers? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, But what was amazing was that some of them listened to the podcast. And so it was really nice, actually. You met some of our fans. Some of them would walk up to us. I don't know if they're our fans. We actually have people who listen to this. I know. I couldn't believe it. The funniest one, I think, was uh, I was on an escalator just talking to somebody, and this guy turns around, (laughs) and he's like, whoa, that's the voice from the podcast. And I was like, yes. (laughs) It's connected to a person. Oh, that's hilarious. No, it was really nice, though. I was really grateful for all the people who came up and said hi, especially from Wayne State. Right? Wayne State. The Wayne State. The Wayne State. Matthew, Sarah, and James, especially Sarah. So she was very sweet. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah. So there you go. (laughs) That's right. You can see him on Facebook. They posted a picture. So (laughs) I'm sorry. Are you on Facebook anymore? Uh, I shouldn't be. I am on Facebook, but I check it like once a month. So I think anybody who tries to communicate with me through that medium thinks i am a jerk well that's actually more just like the people who more often than you check your, i was gonna say it's more often than you check your email though because i believe you're about once every six weeks on email oh uh, so. that's not true we've actually caught up on emails yeah we it's have amazing. well kind of mostly we're almost there we're almost there i got six in my inbox well and uh we had how many hundreds before our friend rachel we got like 200 she helped us organize them and oh uh, it was great it was a godsend yeah but uh man we would love getting those emails mm-hmm. so keep them coming I'm delaying the topic because I have very little to say on the topic. Oh, really? No, your, your homily, you said, John gave a homily today, Father John, at uh, <laughs> Mass. I'm sorry. I'm so used to calling you John. I have to correct myself. Um, and it was like, I don't know, five minutes long, but you said it was so condensed and you just you had so much more to say, but you just didn't have and time. And here we go. And so this is your chance to say it. I honestly, when you started preaching and I knew he was going to podcast on whatever he was preaching on. <laughs> And I still had a hard time paying attention. Oh so, my gosh! But that might have just been because of the time, the day, the day of uh, time. Well, of it was day. a five-minute homily. I'm going to do it in about twenty minutes now, so I'm going to speak the same amount, but just four times as slow. Yeah. All right. Let's do Let's this. Let's do this. So last time I podcasted with Do with Goble, he threw some Greek at me, just Ooh. to embarrass me. But I'm not going to do that to you. But we are going to no die. do it to me because you already. I heard your homily. I remember that part. Okay, we'll start with this. Ready? This and is we've the- already done these Greek words, by the way. Any seasoned listener will know that we talked about this during the beatific vision. Orao and no. theoreo. Yeah, no. you, you did, man. This is totally recycled information. Okay. Well, dang it. Well, it's all right. It was a different topic. It just happened to use the same words. Wait, but- which which topic? Be- <sighs> this this podcast sucks right now. Uh, anyway, uh, beatific vision. Okay, so we've already done this. No, not this topic. Okay, so can I continue? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, Keep that's going. good. Theon Hudais Urakin. That's it. Uh, that's not what I expected you to say. Theon. Theon. I don't know what that God. is. God. Oh, the. You're not. You're not using the correct <laughs> pronunciation. Theon. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, we're done with the Greek. We're not going to make them suffer through this. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. Theon, Hudais, Urakan. Oh, no. yeah. Urakan from the word Arao, which we'll get into here in a second. But this is a good refresher for people who you know may have missed that distinction in the Greek words. Mm-hmm. The two different Greek words for see, that's what we're going to talk about today. But as I was praying on this topic this morning during my holy hour, I did not know what I was going to speak on tonight. And I liked 
this. And I thought it was very interesting. So I said, what the heck? We'll give it a shot. All right. This notion of no one has ever seen God. So we're going to start in the scriptures today. And then we're going to kind of flesh that out. And then we're going to tie that practically into the way that we pray and the struggles that we're having today. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. We're going to wrap it up here real quick. So um, this phrase, no one has ever seen God, which is astonishing and very strange to us, but is really important in Jonine literature, John's literature, happens twice, right? First time is in John chapter 1, verse 18, mm-hmm. right at the end of the prologue, the last line, no one has ever seen God, hmm. but the only begotten son who's in the bosom of the father has exegeted him, the right? Corpus. Has revealed him. He has exegeted him, exa, exegesaton. Exegesato. Um, we have to say this like Father Hoke, who taught us Greek. Exegesato, brothers. Mm-hmm. Oh. So no so, one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has exegeted has him, exegeted disclosed him, him. Disclosed him, revealed him. That's the first time. Okay. Second right. time. First John chapter 4, verse 11. Theon hudeis protote te theotai. That's really exactly how he sounds. No one has ever seen God. Oh, but a different word for seen. We'll get into that in a second. No one has ever seen God. And then what follows is, um, I almost said, to love another person is to see the face of God from Les Miserables, which we watched uh, in the movie a couple days ago. But we'll get into that in a second. I don't want to get a bit ahead of myself here. Here's the full verse. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then what follows is that line, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So, I'm coming back from a conference where 6,000 young Catholics are sitting there, and they're all claiming to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with someone that they've never seen, right? Mm-hmm. With a uh, God that they've never seen. That's significant. Yeah. All the other people walking around Disney World, right, paying, you know, fifty ninety five for a cup of coffee and this different stuff, they're saying, what the heck are these people doing? This is very strange. And it's good for us to stop and to say, no one has ever seen God, mm-hmm. right? We do not see him. We do not have access to him. And we're not, we're going to tie this. Hopefully you can tie it actually into the beatific vision later, but I think we need to start there first off. And this is the point of the homily. We live in an age where technology has radically over and hypersensitized us to uh, experience through uh, the five senses. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't see it, if I don't feel it, if I don't hear it, it's not real. Right. Right. That is the basis of reality is on the senses. Now, that's not just technology and not just the yeah, conditioning of the Yeah, there's a lot time. of philosophy in there. It's also Aristotelian foundation, which Thomas takes. Nothing is known except through the senses. Mm-hmm. So God has to be known through the senses, right? Right. In some way. But we've never seen God. So that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So let's we got to dive into this in a little way. If all knowledge begins in the senses and we have knowledge of the living God, but we've never seen God, then it's either A... He's coming through different senses or B, something else is at work here. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Are you excited yet? Yeah, I'm so excited. You look excited. Okay. You can't even see my face. I'm behind the screen. <laughs> you look like Bane from <laughs> Batman. Bane. Which a lot of people like. Goebbels Batman. They told me that at the... Uh, so I'm not going to tell them that though because that'll be a compliment. It was them, a good so. one. Hey, you want to have a drink real quick? No. Um, not sure. So... Let's go back to the Greek here for a second. So John's gospel says, no one has ever seen God. And the first time he says that is the Greek word arao, seen, physically seeing, right? Orao. No one has ever physically oraoed God. No mm-hmm. one has ever actually seen him. Like I'm looking at you right now. Yeah. Right? People have seen me. They have oraoed me. They have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay. know why that sounds funny. I don't know. It does. But then 
in First John chapter 4, he says something different. No one has ever seen God. But he says theorain instead of orao, which means contemplative beholding. Right. No one has ever beheld God. Which is, is really wild to me. That, that is that. wild. That essentially means that there is no such thing as contemplative seeing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's crazy. Contemplative. Because I mean, we can say, yeah, I've never physically seen God. Yeah. But to say, no, John says, you've never contemplatively seen God. Mm. You've never beheld him in theorain, which is where we get the word theory. Right. Crazy. It's really now, crazy. why would John change the word, right? I mean, because remember, he writes the, the Revelation in 96 AD, according to Irenaeus. And then 99, he writes the uh, gospel. And then the three letters right after the gospel. Do you think he's trying to make a connection between the two? I think so. Because I think if we understand the context of the letters, we understand that the letters of John were written as what? Pastoral letters about how to be a Christian. Uh, and... Gnostic misinterpretations of the gospel were happening, and so they were written to clarify the meaning of the gospel. Ah. So it'd be interesting that he reiterates that phrase, no one has ever seen God, and he's saying it to Gnostic misinterpretations, Gnostic meaning reducing the faith to To knowledge. Knowledge, which would make sense then. Right, and so he's saying, not only have you not physically seen God, but you Gnostics who want to reduce it to this kind of contemplative secret knowledge, not only have you not seen him, but you don't even have Theorain, right? Mm-hmm. You, haven't even, you don't even have a contemplative beholding of him. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think if you know the context, it makes a lot of sense. That's perfect. We're done. All right. Emails. Catholic Stuff Podcast. Oh, wait. No, we're not done. Okay. So, so the question is, why is he making these statements and what is he doing? If we haven't seen God, then what are we doing? Put your watch down. You're distracting me like I'm crazy. Sorry. That's okay. He's like <laughs> My watch to, broke in the middle of the podcast. Trying to fix his watch. Now, I was, here, it was helping me to focus. Now, um, here's the weird thing. Hold on a second. Yeah, sure. So when you look at these two verses, okay, mm-hmm. um, you also realize that there's two things that we have seen, right? John makes it very clear. We have theorained two things. Number one, Son. we've seen, we have theorained his the glory, word. his glory. Mm-hmm. So right before the first time when he says no one has ever seen God, prior to that, he says we have beheld his glory. Theorain. We have theorained the glory of the Son. Okay. That's in in John chapter 1. And then in 1 John chapter 4, he says, and we have seen, theorain, and testify that the Father sent his Son as the Savior of the world. So no one has ever seen God, but we've seen this relationship, right? Hmm. And that's the first point, I think is that the Gnostic misinterpretation is trying to get a vision of God without mediation of the Trinitarian relationship. Right. right? We're trying to get access beyond the Trinity to, like, the perfect God. Mm-hmm. And that was the temptation of, like, um, Meister Eckhart and these guys in the, in the medieval, late medieval world, was that there was this God beyond the Trinitarian relationship. The God of the philosophers that you could right. kind of access God without Christ. Right. And so I think that's the first thing that John is trying to really intensely reiterate. That okay. There is no knowledge of God without seeing the Trinitarian relations, hmm. which means the Son, who is in his perfect glory on the cross, as he reveals the Father. No one has seen the Father except the Son. Right? right. No one knows the Father except the Son. So this question of seeing God is fundamentally one of re-engaging Trinitarian relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Secondly, that Trinitarian relationship is itself love, right? What does he say here? He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So when you glimpse the realization that the only way to understand or even engage this God is through this Trinitarian relationship, which Mm -hmm. is itself love, then we understand that the mediation into knowledge of this being is through love and not through sight. Hmm. 
to love another person, to see, see the, the face, face of, God. of God, which my mother loves that line at the end of Les Mis. And I thought it was kind of chintzy. We were talking about it. I was like, that's cute. It could be on a Hallmark card. It was funny because at me and Father John saw Les Mis together and he was mentioning that about his mother. And I was like, oh, I kind of love that line, you know? And we got in this kind of mini argument about it. And then during your homily, you were given this homily. And I was like, oh, I'm totally going to call him out in the podcast about to love another person to see the face of God. And then you actually brought that up in the homily. You did. That's actually where this this topic came from was my mom just, oh, she just weeps at the end every every single time at the end of the play or the end of the uh, um, movie. And again, if you haven't seen it, it's this line, to love another person is to see the face of God. Now... There's truth in that, but that's still kind of vague. If right. we're really thinking about it, like, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? If I love you, like, uh, not see, like God's face doesn't just, like, a projector screen doesn't just come down. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. But there's something to it at the same sense. So Victor Hugo writing Les Mis at the height of, of you know, French romanticism is kind of, it, he's focusing it. It's detached from love of God. It right. just becomes love of neighbor. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily just to love another person to see the face of God, but part of it's the realization, and I think this is important, that we have to behold and we have to abide in the Trinitarian life. That's how we learn love. That's how we become love. It's not about seeing, and this is the whole point of the homily. So much of our prayer is we want God to just reveal himself on a screen, and so we can just determine, is he real, right? Mm. Because his reality is contingent upon my ability to sense him, right? Right. The television, right, the characters in Downton Abbey seem much more real to me than God does because I can sense them when I watch the season premiere of of season three at 9 p.m. last Mm -hmm. Sunday. Something like that, hypothetically, right? right? Let's say I was watching that, so. In a hypothetical situation. Hypothetically, right? They seem much more real to me than God does. Right. And so part of it is being stripped constantly of this desire to know God sensibly, to experience him sensibly. When I go to adoration at the Focus Conference and Joe Doman's singing his song up there with his guitar and I'm just... Which I, I wasn't the, doing at the And Focus I get Conference. the tingly feelings, you know what I mean? Which are all, you know, there is real stuff there. My conversion happened that way and things happen still. Um, but we have to move, in a sense, beyond those senses mm. to allow God to really come into intimacy with us. It's fundamentally about abiding in his love. It's not about seeing him and then determining it. Yes. Yeah. Thinking deeply. Yeah, I'm just trying to take it all in. Let me give you an example. Yeah. I thought this was kind of interesting. In all our culture, in our culture, right, saturated by sex, I want to know this person physically before I can choose if I'm going to love them. All right? Test drive the the car, as somebody told me recently. Right. Um, which is a lovely phrase for a woman. Ridiculous. And so, um, but I thought that's very interesting. And we apply the same thing to God. I want to know him. I want to know him sensibly before I can determine if I want to have a relationship with them. Right. And it's, it's just because we live in this culture that's so saturated by hmm. everything begins in the senses and then is determined, which is true. That's the construct of humanity, but we've taken it too far. We, we are stripping ourselves of that. I want to know someone physically before I can decide if I'm going to commit my life to them. It seems crazy to stay chaste, hmm. to not know them physically. Right intimately to to have experienced them sensibly prior to standing at the altar right and then giving my whole life to them and that temptation in the sexual realm in terms of our relationships is the exact same thing i think we experience with god i do not want to enter into a relationship with this being that is beyond sense because i don't know if he exists hmm. you really think they're connected like that i don't know i'm feeling it out there yeah no it's very interesting i 
I guess my question then is what do you what do you do then? How do you encounter God? What is the encounter with Christ? That mm-hmm. is the question. I think that we have to realize that everything is grace. That the son exegetes the father, right? That there is no knowledge of God, that there is no sight of him uh in an authentic and a in a personal intimate way apart from Jesus Christ. Well, it's interesting because we can know things about God apart from, at least right. explicitly apart yeah. from Christ. I mean, we can know, some can know, you know, Thomas talks about this with his five proofs, which we went over, you and uh, Goebel did, that we can know that God exists or we can know. Don't reveal that that was Nathan. Know, that God is beautiful or that God is good or right. God is true or whatever. Um, But you seem to be saying something different and St. John does as well, like that we can, we might be able to know things about God but no one has, we cannot, I don't know, see God, know God apart from the Son. Um, what does that mean? How is that different about from knowing things about God? Is it like, is it something at the essence of God? Is it something at the, is it a personal knowing? Like almost like a biblical knowing, you know? Right. Like a, having to do with not just with uh, data or, you know, if I want to know about, I don't know, Peyton Manning, I can look up his statistics and tell you all the stuff that he's done, tell you that he plays for the Denver Broncos, he's a quarterback, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. But that doesn't mean I know him or I really see him, right. who he is. Uh, maybe, I mean, may, obviously that's analogous, but is it something similar to that? I think so. And again, I don't, I don't, this is a very interesting topic because I really don't have the answers. I was just really captivated by this in prayer hmm. of the fact that like, not only do we not see God, even my contemplative beholding of him is not seeing in the sense of physical see, hmm. in physical sight. Yeah, I think. Um, the, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and so I think that the, I think you're right in saying there's something of the essence of God that we're trying to glimpse in this Trinitarian relationship, this perfect eternal exchange of love um, that it transcends all senses, transcends all knowledge, even all being. I dare say, uh, and is radically, radically beyond us, right. and that we are incapable of understanding. It kind of goes. Together. It kind of touches into the whole apophatic, cataphatic thing that I think you've done a podcast on mm-hmm. um, the idea that you know every time we say something about God we have to automatically say kind of the opposite you know when we say God is good we have to then say God is not good because God is so far beyond whatever notion of goodness I have God is not that he's much further beyond right. that right uh, it's kind of that whole idea that everything we speak about in God is anal- it, every analogy uh, analogy is the only way we can speak about God, and every analogy with God implies a greater dissimilarity. Like God is much, we we know whatever we think we know about God, He's way more and way further beyond that. Yeah, and that is and that is the case that we're talking about negative or apophatic theology, theology that focuses on denying that which is. So when I say I know God, I have to say uh, all the more I don't know God because mm-hmm. He transcends everything that I am. Where are we at for time? Uh, 19. 19. Okay, good. Um, but this is really difficult because I have experienced Christ, right? I have experienced the love of the Father in some way, but I don't know how to articulate that in the, in the, in the expression of sight. And that's what's so crazy. And so I think where I want to go with this for a second is that the fundamental mode of faith is obedience, which is hearing. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's fundamentally the, the word reverberating through history and us being disposed enough to hear his voice. All right. Right. But again, it transcends our, our senses. external senses, just like sight does for Balthazar. It's 
the glory, right? Beholding the glory. We have beheld his glory, right? We have seen him. His glory, glory is God's beauty. Mm-hmm. And he builds his whole theology of beauty based on that, uh, on this kind of glimpse of the glory of God in the cross, right? And if we understand the paradox of the cross, that we see that it is, in fact, his glory. And that's where his beauty most radiates and is most profound. Huh. Yeah, and it's the act of it's the life of faith that enables that to be seen, mm. and to be seen into the very moments of my life, things that don't make sense, right? When I'm when my life is falling apart, that I can see beauty, I can see God's glory at work in the midst of that. That's the kind of seeing we're trying to convey. Is that Theorain? Like that's Theorain. Yeah. We have Theorained His glory, right? Which totally, I love that. Uh, it totally makes sense to me because when I think about, you know, any encounter in prayer, outside of prayer, just where I've experienced, you know, people say experience God in some way, really what I'm talking about is I've, I've gotten a sense that there is a reality that is outside of me, outside of what I can see around me, um, that there is something there and that whatever it is, it is beautiful. Right. Like there's a sense of kind of like his... Uh, whenever I sense God's presence, it's not like I'm actually sensing God himself. Cause I don't even, that, that's a, I don't even know what that means. Right. You know, cause we have no categories for that. We've never experienced that, but I'm sensing something that I know is good and something that's beautiful. Uh, and that is, is acting upon me right. and I can sense that. Uh, and sometimes I can't sense it and I, I believe that it's, it's true. Right. But I just love that, that we have Theorain, we have contemplated, we have his, beheld his glory. Right. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's, that's every experience of God I've had. I think that would be how I would describe it. Yeah, I've experienced his beauty. I've right. experienced his glory. I know he is, he's beautiful. Yeah, and, and it's um, sometimes it comes with external feelings and senses. And, and sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. It's totally void of that, but you still feel that. Like, uh, I'll just give you two examples from the weekend. Like, um, I was overwhelmed um, sitting in this gigantic room with 120 other priests, all of whom heard confessions for four straight hours. It was amazing. And I, I, I just felt fresh and alive after three hours of confessions, three and a half hours. I mean, it was just like amazing. Um, and I felt that, and this is important for people who are especially young in faith, but like you still feel the tingly feeling every once in a while. And, and sometimes God works through that, but that doesn't mean that God only works through that. Right. And if we reduce them to those external senses. So I don't want to say that there is no such thing as an experience of God that is externally sensible. That happens sometimes. I think it's more extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And as he leads you deeper and deeper into the faith, you start to behold his glory and the things that seem to be completely empty, the things that you're most embarrassed of of your life, the weakness and the failures of your life. But I think the biggest thing is actually from this first letter of John. He doesn't say, no one has ever seen God, but if you love one another, you see God. He says this, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He shifts this question. We're not even asking, if we're asking the question of how do I see God, we're asking the wrong question. The question is how do I have abide with God in intimacy and union? Hmm. And I do that through the experience of love. And I think the biggest thing is uh, that um, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. We have seen that, right? So that earlier we talked about the attribute of God's glory, his beauty radiating through history. The other thing is that the event, and I think this is what I want to close with. There's two ways of seeing God, seeing his beauty, his glory playing out in life in a paradoxical way in the midst of powerlessness and weakness. That's one thing. And then John tells us, but the fundamental way we see God is the event of Jesus Christ, the father sending the son. 
but that is all contingent upon the testimony of Christ and the credibility of Christ. And the only way that we can encounter that in a deeper way is by keeping our hearts fixated on the event of Christ, which means living in the scriptures, having a life of prayer, and praying that we can enter in a deeper way into that event. See, the question of how do I see God, how do I know God, how do I have a relationship with God, that's a very postmodern thing. The whole point of the Christian life is to enter in a deeper way into the existence of Christ and to allow him to reveal the Father, exegete the Father to us. Hmm. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And that's all I got. Questions, comments, concerns, fears, anxieties, uh, Catholic Stuff Podcast at, at gmail.com on Facebook. We got a couple of comments we got to catch up on. Sorry for the emails I haven't responded to. <laughs> and I think that's about it. That's it. All right. Have all a right, good uh, have a good week. Okay, bye-bye.